today we want to continue uh, our uh, study of the book of Acts, and we're kind of at another interesting place uh, here. We just got through, it took a few weeks, but we did get through uh, chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16, talking about the, the issue of Jews and people from the nations and and uh, uh, how uh, those early believers in Messiah dealt with that issue that has ramifications for today. But now we're moving forward uh, uh, from that, and we're in chapter 16, beginning in verse uh, 4. Uh, chapter 16, verse 4. All right. Now, if you remember uh, that uh, Paul and Barnabas kind of went their separate ways, and Paul now is partnered with uh, a man by the name of Silas, okay, who uh, was also Jewish and a Roman citizen, uh, along with Paul, which is very interesting. As as this will all as this story plays out, we'll see how how fortuitous uh, that indeed uh, is. Uh, and now they're they're moving forward. They're, they decide uh, they're, they're going to go back to visit the places where uh that that had been visited before but let's read the let's read a few verses and we'll see what's going to happen it really is an interesting it's an interesting narrative an interesting story to read all right so beginning in verse four now while they were passing through the cities oh by the way i have to stop there by the way it wasn't only um paul and silas but timothy is introduced uh uh to us we talked about that last week and so it is Paul and Silas and Timothy now traveling together. All right. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. That was the, you know, the whole issue of Jews and what Gentiles uh, have to do and, and all of that, which we have talked about. So the congregations that were the congregations were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. You know, periodically Luke uh, says that. Uh, he says it, uh, if you've been following along, he's said things like that three or four times already. And uh, the idea for us to understand is that the body of Messiah was growing through persecution through, uh, through thorny issues that had to be decided, that the congregation was growing. Nothing would hold back what God was doing. As long as they were being faithful to the task, dealing with difficult issues uh, and persecution, that the congregation of Messiah kept growing. And you know, that just makes... That, that is true now. Uh, you know... The only reason uh, why growth is stunted is when we don't walk with the Lord. It's not about persecution, not about dealing with thorny issues, you know. It's when we become disobedient to the task. Well, we know that the apostles and the elders uh, were not disobedient to the task. It was not an easy task. That's, that's, what we're, that's what we're reading all the way through. It was not an easy task. But as long as they were faithful, God continued to bring increase, you know? And that uh, should encourage us. That should encourage us that, uh, you know, when we have to adapt, 
uh, when we have thorny issues that we have to deal with, we just deal with them. We pray, we deliberate, and we deal with them. Uh, and uh, uh, God uh, blesses and continues the work, you know? And, and so I think that's really very important for all of us in our own personal lives to remember and, and congregationally uh, as well. It's not about, it's not about um, uh, challenges that come our way. It's about how we react, how we respond uh, about our faithfulness uh, to, the, to the task. No one ever said anything about anything ever being easy. Okay, uh, it is not ever easy, but uh, it is uh, satisfying uh, and it is worthwhile uh, and it uh, yields great fruit. Uh, and so let's, let's remember that. So that was, that was really their story. You know, isn't it amazing? I could go on and on, and, uh, which I'm doing actually as we speak. Uh, and uh, talk just about verse 5 the whole time. But we're going to move on here. Okay. Uh, now verse 6. And they passed through uh, Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh, to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Yeshua did not permit them. And passing by Mishia, they came down to Troas. Now that is a very interesting little statement there. Uh, and it tells, us, uh, it tells us a few different things. It tells us a few different things. Uh, that uh, they're moving west. Now, all these towns and all that, you, you know, you might uh, go to your AAA international and uh, try to find these places or something. Uh, uh, but we know that really uh, these places are in, uh, really, I think mostly, if not all, in approximately the, uh, in Turkey, okay? Uh, and, uh, uh, and it's uh, very interesting. So they wanted to go to all these places, but they, but they couldn't go there, all right? They couldn't go there. And notice it says, having been forbidden by the Ruach HaKodesh to speak the, uh, the word in, in Asia. Okay, and when they had come to this other place, Amisha, they were trying to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Yeshua uh, did, not, uh, did not permit them. All right, so they, they settle in on Troas, which is by the Aegean Sea, right? And, and they're going to figure out what they're, gonna, you know, what they're going to do. Uh, so it's interesting uh, when it says the Spirit would not allow them uh, uh, to do it, we don't know exactly what that means. Uh, I, it could mean that uh, there, were, uh, there were reasons why they couldn't go, and they attributed it to God closing doors. Just like we would, we would say today that God closed the door to a certain place because I couldn't get in, we couldn't go, they, Today we might say, I couldn't get a visa, or I couldn't get a passport. Oh, I, the Lord uh, uh, kept me from going to that place, right? Uh, or perhaps it was a, a, a move uh, of, their, of, the, of their heart. Uh, one way or another, they, uh, they attributed their movements to the Ruach HaKodesh. They attributed their movements to God, if for whatever reason, 
uh, that uh, they were not able to uh, they were not able to to do this uh, to do this work. Uh, but there's a little bit more to say uh, about that. But let's first read the next couple of verses. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Now, when it says a vision appeared to Paul in in the night, it's important. It 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 might lead us to think, therefore, that well. Uh, if it says specifically a vision appeared to Paul at night, then perhaps when the, uh, in verses 6 and 7, when it says they were for- forbidden by the Ruach HaKodesh, they were forbidden by the Spirit to go, or that they were kept from going, that it w- that w- would not have been a vision. You know, but specifically Paul had a vision. It was something different than uh, whatever forbidden uh, by the Holy Spirit uh, uh, to, to speak means, or kept uh, from the Spirit of Yeshua, not uh, allowing them to go. Uh, but what Paul's experience of having this vision, that's a little bit different, right? And, uh, and it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And then in verse 10, And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So here, for whatever reason, they could not get to these other places. They're in Troas. Paul has a vision of a Macedonian man saying, Come and help us. So it's interesting. They deliberated about it. You know, it says, When they had seen the vision, we we sought to go to... to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Okay? In other words, we came to the conclusion because we couldn't get to these other places. Paul has this vision that we should go to Macedonia. But you'll notice there's something else going on in these verses that's a little different from what we've seen so far. And that is the first person plural pronoun, we and us. We haven't seen that in the book of Acts yet. And so therefore, evidently, this is where Luke comes in. Luke, the writer of Luke and Acts, has, is joining them at this time. So it's kind of interesting, isn't it? Some believe that Luke was actually from Macedonia, that that, that, that was uh, his home. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, important always to observe the text. We see this periodically, not all the way through. It'll be here, and then it'll be in several other places where we see the we and the we and us uh, of um, of Luke, uh, Luke here. But you know, there's uh, there's a little bit more to say about this issue of the the role of the ruach hakodesh and the visions. Uh, that that we read uh, that we read about here. You know, I think it's important uh, that uh, we recognize that this was all taking place in a Jewish context. Still, all taking place in a Jewish context. When we read that Paul had a vision, or we read that uh, the Spirit of God led them, or didn't lead them, or forbade them, or or told them where to go. This is not different from what we read in the prophets of Israel. This is not different from what we read in the prophets of Israel. 
Uh, and, uh, and so it, it's important to understand that in the travelings of the apostles and in their preaching the message, uh, they were really acting in, in very much like the prophets uh, of Israel. You know, for example, uh, we read in Isaiah 1.1 uh, uh, that what Isaiah is going to write about for 66 chapters, <laughs> it's called the vision of Isaiah. The vision of Isaiah. Okay? In Micah 1.1, we read, The word came to the prophet which he saw. The word came to the prophet which he saw. Okay? Nahum, by the way, that's how you pronounce his name, right? I know we like to say Nahum, right? But Nahum, Nahum, that, that's how you pronounce his name. It's called, in the very beginning, the book of the vision of Nahum. You read at the beginning of Obadiah, and that would be in the first chapter, by the way, uh, the vision of Obadiah. We read Ezekiel saw lots of visions. I mean, I, uh, Ezekiel was like, you know, having visions in living color, so to speak. Uh, you, you know, uh, very, very interesting. Uh, we also read that the prophets were called to go places. Think about Jonah, for example, right? Uh, we know in the book of Jonah that Jonah, that God told Jonah to go to Nineveh, right? Uh, and then when he went the other way, God, he was, we could say, he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, uh, to go the other way. Uh, he had to go to Nineveh. The point I'm trying to make is the continuity uh, in the scripture. It, it is Hashem, it is the God of Israel uh, leading his emissaries in varieties of places. You also see this, I won't take the time now, but I have a whole list here. Elijah, Elisha, all of them were led by God to go where they were called to go. They heard the voice of God. They saw a vision uh, of a God. And so when we read this in the book of Acts, we shouldn't get the idea that this is some kind of not, not Jewish thing, you know, or uh, not Israelite thing. It, it, it is. It, it, uh, it most, uh, it most uh, definitely uh, it most definitely is, right? Uh, uh, and it's also interesting that we read, for example, in the book of Hebrews, in the first verse, that in previous times it says God spoke in, the, in prophets, in the prophets, right? And then it says, now he has spoken to us in sonship. He has spoken to us in, in sonship. The, the point is, is that God uh, led the prophets, spoke in the prophets, guided and directed uh, the, uh, the, the, the prophets. Uh, you know, there's a very interesting statement in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, uh, in verse uh, 10, in verse 10 and 11, it says, As to this salvation, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Messiah within them 
was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Messiah and glories to follow. The, the, and then it says, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, and, and so on and so forth. But notice it says, uh, very interestingly here, the spirit of Messiah within them. That the very same Ruach HaKodesh guided and directed them uh, as directed the, uh, the, uh, the apostles. And, uh, you know, that phrase, Spirit of Messiah, is uh, very interesting. In Romans chapter 8, uh, in verse 9, we read this. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the, the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Messiah, he does not belong to him. So the very same terminology is used of the Ruach HaKodesh, who indwells us, as who were guiding and directing and indwelt the prophets. Isn't that interesting? We often think it was like something entirely different. Or we talk about the new ministry of the Ruach HaKodesh. Not as new as you might think. New, but not as new as you might think. Very, very Im important uh, uh, to get. Also, uh, in, um, if you, if we're going to go to two more places. Okay, one is, I guess I'll, I'll do this uh, succinctly. In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 19... I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but this is a good place to mention it. Okay, in Philippians 1.19, it says, For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Yeshua the Messiah. The Spirit of Yeshua the Messiah. This is the Ruach HaKodesh. The Ruach HaKodesh is the Spirit of Yeshua the spirit of Messiah, the spirit of Yeshua the Messiah, <laughs> okay? And then finally, uh, now going back to where we started in Acts chapter 16. In Acts 16, uh, in uh, verse 7, right? We have the spirit of Yeshua. So isn't it interesting? In Acts here, we have the spirit of Yeshua, in 1 Peter and in Romans, you have the spirit of Messiah. And in Philippians, you have the spirit of Yeshua the Messiah. <laughs> All right? And so, as I have been saying, when we talk about the role of the Ruach HaKodesh here uh, and, this, the, and who the Holy Spirit is, to say it correctly, Yeshua dwells within us via the Ruach HaKodesh. When we talk about having the Spirit of God dwelling within us, that means that Yeshua dwells in us via the Holy Spirit. Now, certainly we believe in the tri-unity of God, but it is, not as, um, it is not like the job description that we often say, here's the role of the Father, here's the role of the Son, here's the role of the Spirit. You cannot systematize everything in the Bible. The system 
is coming from us. <laughs> the word is what God says, okay? We certainly believe in the triunity of God, the, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? Certainly. But it's very important uh, here for us to uh, understand that when you read here in the Brit Chadashah, that the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Yeshua, is the Spirit of Messiah. And the Spirit of Messiah was in the prophets and is in the apostles. And so this is not like a new religion or uh, uh, God acting completely, uh, completely different than he ever did before. No, it's, it's important for us to get that. What is the difference? The difference is the risen Messiah, Messiah being seated at the right hand of the Father and our identity in him and all, 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 that, that, uh, all that that means. And so I, uh, it should not surprise us, I guess, uh, that the Spirit of God would lead them some places, keep them from going other places, and uh, that uh, we would see uh, visions uh, uh, here. And in fact, you know, the prophets, uh, the Hebrew word for prophet is navi, but they were also called seers. Uh, not just prophets, they were also called seers. Seers of, seers of visions. And we are learning some dynamic things, by the way, about the prophets in our prophets course, uh, about uh, the, the unique intimacy that they had with God being present in, so to speak, the throne room of God, in the council of God, that they, they had unique experiences in the very presence of God. Uh, you could say almost like they were the, uh, uh, they certainly point uh, to the, the later apostles and, uh, and, and really uh, the opportunity that all of us have, you know, uh, to have the indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh when we receive the Lord. And the Bible says we're seated in heavenly places. It tells us something very special about all of us uh, in the intimacy that we all have with God. But here, very clearly, we see that God was directing, God was, uh, directing the, uh, the, the apostles. Uh, and, uh, and I think another thing that Luke is really bringing out here is that Yeshua is alive and Yeshua is doing the work. Remember, I pointed this out, uh, you know, earlier, uh, even in, um, you know, in, uh, in uh, chapter 15, uh, and uh, we pointed it out in other verses, where it was Yeshua who was guiding and directing via the Ruach HaKodesh, via the Holy Spirit, Okay. It's not a coincidence that he says in verse 7, and the spirit of Yeshua did not permit them, right? Yeshua is very much alive and active in the travelings, the doings, uh, and everything about what the apostles uh, are doing. Okay, so they come to Macedonia. So that means um, now they're in what we would call today Greece, right? Europe was not a word that was used yet, <laughs> okay? Uh, and so they're, they're in Greece now. They're moving west. They're moving west. If you look at it on a map, they're really heading toward Rome. Uh, it's kind of interesting. Uh, but this was the direction that they're, 
that they're going. Uh, and they're in Macedonia. Now at this time, Macedonia was a very significant place uh, in this northern part of uh, Greece. It was a region. It was a region, right? And uh, we read here, uh, Therefore, now in verse 11, putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the following day, Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. And so now here we read about the beginning of the congregation at Philippi. Later on, Paul wrote to them the epistle or the letter to the Philippians, right? This is about the beginning of the congregation uh, at uh, Philippi, right? So it's in Macedonia. We learn it's a Roman colony, and we learn it's a leading uh, city in the district of uh, Macedonia, okay? Now, what does, uh, what does that mean? All right. Uh, I'm going to read just a little something that I have, uh, uh, that I have here. It says, uh, in the colony of Philippi, renamed by Augustus after the Julian family, Roman uh, aristocracy flourished and Roman architecture became the standard. More Roman soldiers were given allotments in Philippi. Since it was a Roman colony, the citizens of Philippi enjoyed all the privileges and rights of Roman citizens. They were exempt from taxes and governed under Roman law. Philippi was modeled after the mother city, Rome. Roman arches, bathhouses, forums, and temples dominated Philippi at the time of, uh, of Paul. Okay? Uh, there's some other interesting and really important things. Uh, Latin became the official language of Philippi, although uh, Greek gods had their temples in Philippi. But what, was, what is very important for us, it's a little bit maybe, well, beyond the scope of today's message, I'll mention it again uh, the next time, is uh, that the imperial cult was the most prominent religion of the city, religious activity of the city. And that means worship of the emperor. Worship of the emperor. The people who lived in Philippi, in this Roman colony, in this like Roman uh, imperial city were people who were like military veterans and also people of prominence, uh, people who had acted in a very civic kind of way, uh, lived in uh, Philippi. For a Roman citizen, it was really like a really great place, uh, a really great place uh, to live. There was prestige in being a citizen of a Roman colony. There was prestige in being a citizen of Philippi. Now, in a few verses, but after what we'll talk about next time, uh, we'll see this is why Paul gets himself in some trouble uh, in Philippi. And it also answers a few questions about some things going on in his letter to the Philippians uh, also. Uh, but, so that's, that's this city. Now, there was a Jewish population, but not a large Jewish population. What's interesting is that even in these Roman colonies, uh, Jews were allowed 
uh, uh, the, uh, a limited freedom to worship their God. Uh, uh, it's very interesting that uh, you read about it in uh, Josephus, uh, that um, you have this statement in, in Josephus, a quote, We have decreed that as many men and women of the Jews as are willing so to do so may celebrate their Sabbaths and perform their holy offices according to Jewish laws and may make their, um, their prayers, uh, their worship, their devotion at the seaside according to the custom of their forefathers. And if anyone, whether he be a magistrate or a private citizen, hinder them from doing so, he shall be liable to a fine and applied to the use uh, of, the, uh, of the city. And so Jews were able to go to where there was a body of water. And here, as we read, it was outside of the gates. Uh, and, uh, and it was on Shabbat. And Paul meets up with some Jewish people. So we read here now in verse uh, 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and, and began speaking with the, to the women who had assembled. And so there was a group of women. We don't know if this was like, quote unquote, a, a synagogue or if it was just some people gathered. But uh, uh, clearly they were worshiping the God of Israel. Uh, some of them may have been Jews or God-fearers. Uh, but there was a kesher, there was a connection between Paul and Silas and Timothy, uh, you know, and, uh, and these uh, people, uh, uh, Jews and perhaps some uh, non-Jews who were praying, worshiping uh, the, uh, the God of, of Israel. Certainly something that really stands out is that it was a group of women, right? And that's something that you will observe. Uh, we've seen it already and we see it here, but that women were very prominent uh, in the early uh, congregations of uh, Messiah followers. And it's just an interesting observation, uh, interesting observation uh, uh, to make. Now we read in verse 14, And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Well, doesn't that just remind us of our, uh, you know, of, um, uh, of our good friend um, uh, Gigi? I, I remember I used this text at her funeral, at her memorial service, because she loved to dress in purple, uh, right? A wonderful uh, woman, a Messiah follower, beloved by uh, many people, uh, and I always think of her, Gigi Van Tynan, when I think of uh, uh, Lydia here. So there was a certain woman named Lydia from Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics. Uh, so uh, that could mean a variety of different things, a seller of purple fabrics. It could mean that she was an, it could mean she was an ex-slave. It could mean that she was a woman of means. It could mean a variety of things. Uh, but uh, we know that she was not a destitute. Uh, you know, she was not a widow, and, you know, in that, in that category, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God. And because it says a worshiper of God, 
it leads us to probably believe she was a God-fearer, a worshiper of God, was listening. Now, you know, we can stop. She was listening, uh, you know, and, uh, and, and how important that was that uh, she listened to the message, right? Uh, and uh, upon, after listening uh, to uh, the message, the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. God opened her heart. She listened. She embraced Yeshua. She embraced the Messiah. I, I, and, uh, and then it says, And when she and her household had been immersed, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. That means that she was hawking them to stay with her. Okay, that's what it means. That uh, she was saying, come on, stay with me. They might have been saying, no, 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 we, no, 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 stay with me. Uh, you got to stay with me, right? Uh, and uh, so she prevailed uh, upon them. Now, it's interesting. We don't know about the other people uh, that were there. But we know that she and her house uh, evidently embraced the Lord. She's immersed. We see she's immersed, right? Right away. Uh, and then, uh, now we don't read anything else. We don't read, and then the Spirit of God filled her or anything. We don't read that. But we read that the immediate thing she does is show hospitality. The immediate thing that she does is show hospitality. Uh, as, as if uh, to say, she comes to embrace Yeshua, uh, she's immersed, uh, and she demonstrates the reality of Yeshua dwelling in her life by saying to them, you got to stay with me. Come to, come, to my, come to my place. Because this was, uh, this was dangerous. This was dangerous. That she should identify herself. You know, it's one thing for her to embrace the Messiah and, and, and for her to be immersed. That could just be considered, you know, doing whatever Jews do, you, you know, to the, to, the, uh, to the Roman authorities in Philippi. But her inviting them to stay with her, that was uh, a little dicey. That was, she was really identifying with them. So this was really a demonstration of, uh, you know, of her uh, knowing the Lord. She showed hospitality, right? So, uh, you know, this is a big deal, this issue of showing hospitality, right? It's, uh, it's uh, very important uh, in the Brit Hadashah. It was very important uh, in the Jewish world at that time, it was also very important in the Roman Greco world, this issue of, uh, of hospitality. Philoxenia, uh, right? That's kind of love of the stranger. Xenia, uh, does that ring a bell? Xenia, right? It's a town in Ohio. Uh, and it is also, by the way, here in Columbus, uh, there's a congregation. They changed their name not too long ago, but for years they were called Xenos. It comes from this word of stranger, of, of a welcoming the stranger. It's where the, the word comes from. But philo xenia, right? Uh, love of the stranger. Uh, very, you know, very, very interesting word uh, that is used. Now we read about that word and it's translated hospitality, to be hospitable, in a number of places and a pretty, some pretty important places. For example, when you look in First uh, Timothy, in uh, uh, chapter three. Well, I'm not, I won't read it. I won't take the time. You can read it on your own. 
Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in the description of uh, the qualifications of an elder, being hospitable is one of the qualifications. Being hospitable, showing hospitality, loving the stranger, caring for others. You know, that, that kind of, uh, that, that just goes to show you uh, how important this was. We read also about it in the book of Romans. In Romans, it's kind of interesting where it's located. Right after it talks about being a living and holy sacrifice to the Lord, that's what we're all called to be, a living and holy sacrifice. In that context, farther on down the passage, uh, it says, uh, it describes that kind of person. Going back to verse uh, 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Uh, right? Philadelphia. <laughs> okay? Uh, give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, preserving in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Practicing hospitality. So, very, very important. And then, uh, you know, we read in um, uh, we read it also in First Peter. But the, you know where I'm going to uh, turn is to the book of Hebrews. This will be the last place we'll look at the word hospitality. Is in the book of Hebrews because it says something rather interesting uh, about it. In Hebrews chapter 13, uh, in verse two, it says. Uh, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. So one, there's two interesting thing is, things. Is one is you never know who you're entertaining when you uh, show hospitality, but when it says do not neglect uh, the uh, to show hospitality. I, you know, that is uh, really interesting. Really, what it means is pursue hospitality. Maybe some translations might even say that. Go after hospitality. Like, be intentional about showing hospitality. That's what it says uh, in the book of, of Hebrews, when it says, do not neglect to show uh, hospitality. Certainly, we see this uh, in the Torah, you know, when Abraham entertains the three uh, strangers, uh, that uh, is used in many places in the, years later in the rabbinic literature to talk about the value of uh, hospitality uh, in, the, uh, in the Jewish world. In fact, uh, very interestingly, we read uh, here, uh, in the uh, you know in uh, in the the Talmud, Ben Zoma used to say. We know Ben Zoma, by the way, from the uh, from the Haggadah, <laughs> right? Anyway, Ben Zoma used to say, "What does a good guest say? Remember the host for good. How many kinds of wine has he brought before us? How many kinds of portions of meat has he brought before us? How many kinds of fine bread has he brought before us? All that he did, he did only for my sake." What does Scripture say uh, about the good guest? Remember that you magnify his work whereof men have sung. And it goes on to talk more about that. And in lots of places, that is used to describe 
uh, you know, a great value uh, of spirituality, hospitality. You see it in other places in the Torah. When, when Abraham's servant goes to find a wife, a wife for Isaac, he sees Rebekah. Rebecca shows hospitality. Rebecca's family shows hospitality. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, very, very important. Same thing with uh, Jacob uh, as, uh, as, as well. Then you have a very, hospitality, the concept of hospitality is to show something really also very negative in the Torah. Uh, at Sodom and Gomorrah, you have the negative testimony of bad hospitality. Good hospitality, the presence of God, godly things. Bad hospitality, sinfulness, uh, destruction, uh, judgment, uh, and, uh, you know, and so on. In the New Covenant, there are many examples of Yeshua showing and receiving hospitality. He eats with sinners. He stays at the home of Simon the leper. He stays at the home of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He stays at the home of Zacchaeus. He stays at uh, the home of disciples after the resurrection where he explains the Torah uh, 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 to him. Uh, in the parables of Yeshua, a number of them have to do with showing hospitality as an act of acceptance before God. Like, for example, the prodigal son. What do you have at the end of the prodigal son? You have a big feast. And the hospitality is usually having to do with food. The invitation to the banquet. Uh, uh, they're reclining at the table with, uh, with Abraham. Uh, and then you read uh, in, uh, in both the New Covenant and in the Tanakh, about it, it, in the days to come, there, God is going to show tremendous hospitality to us. The banquet feast uh, in Isaiah. The banquet feast in Exodus chapter 24 in the New Covenant. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, I, all of this points to the, very, the hospitality of God. Uh, even the concept of us dwelling in the Messiah, living in him, dwelling in him, that hospitality is a concept that is used to show acceptance and intimacy with God. And so that when we show hospitality to each other, we're demonstrating relationship with God. Uh, we could say that just as the husband and wife relationship shows that, just as a parent and child relationship shows that, so does the, uh, the koinonia relationship show that. The fellowship with one another, the sharing with one of another. Showing hospitality uh, can, be a variety of, can be a variety of things. Uh, uh, but, you know, loving others, it is very much related to Koinonia. And so when uh, you read here uh, in the book of uh, Acts that the first thing uh, that uh, Lydia does is, is she implores them to stay with her. Uh, and uh, why does Luke, you know, why is Luke doing this? You know, Luke is the only writer who uh, talks about, for example, the prodigal son. Uh, he's the only one who talks about the Good Samaritan, another great act of, uh, another great act of hospitality. Luke is the only one who talks about that. Luke is the only one who talks about post-resurrection of Yeshua staying at someone's home when he is uh, sharing uh, with them 
uh, the word of God. In fact, several writers have commented that in the book of Acts, it's really one act of hospitality after another of where the apostles stay when they're at the upper room and when they're at uh, you know, the home of uh, Mary uh, and the different uh, locations where they're at. Uh, it, it, the home of Cornelius and so on and so forth. That you read a lot about this issue of hospitality. And so uh, it should come as no surprise that here in the 16th chapter that uh, Luke tells us this, uh, that uh, you know, she prevailed upon them to stay at her home. And so what do we learn uh, from uh, this well, one is, it's a great narrative for us to learn how God guided and directed uh, those uh, early apostles uh, about where they were to go and what they were to do, uh, and, uh, and that it was really a, a continuation, really, from the time of the prophets uh, to now. The difference is, is that now the Messiah has indeed come. Uh, now we could say the intimacy is certainly more intense and also, uh, 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 and not only the uh, apostles, uh, but we see others also guided and directed. And we can see that even in our own lives. God opens doors, God closes doors about where, uh, you know, where we are uh, indeed uh, uh, to go. And by going to this Roman colony, this was very significant. By the way, another, uh, another thing that we learn here, and we'll see it as this continues to unfold, we'll see it later in chapter 16 and in chapter 17 and 18 and beyond, is uh, that they go to urban areas. They go to urban centers. This is the, where they're going. They, they go to, they find Jewish people, and all, this is their modus operandi, how they operate. They go to a city, they find the Jewish quarter, they find the Jewish people, uh, uh, and that, is, that becomes the, the foothold, the doorway into the city through the Jewish community, uh, ministering to the Jewish community and then beyond. Then a congregation forms uh, and, uh, and it affects uh, their relationship with, with the whole, you know, with the whole uh, city. Also, you know, they go on Shabbat. That's also, you know, very interesting uh, as well. We see uh, Lydia and her family, they believe and they're immersed. Uh, and then what we read, we don't read about the Spirit of God, you know, coming in and dwelling in them. I guess it's an, an assumption based on the models that we already have. But we see that she shows hospitality and Luke is really bringing that out. So, what about us? Hopefully God guides and directs our comings and goings. We're sensitive to the leading of the Ruach. Sometimes a door closes, attributed to, to the Spirit of God saying no. Sometimes God says no to where we want to go and what we want to do. Uh, uh, and, and so therefore, don't be dismayed. They weren't dismayed. They, wa they wanted to go to these other places. This was their plan right? Remember what it says in Isaiah 30, woe unto the rebellious children who execute a plan, but not mine. They, were, they did not, uh, you know, they didn't force their way into these other places. Doors closed, okay, they end up at this place called Troas, and then Paul has this vision of this man from Macedonia, and this is a key, this is a key move that they move on to Greece, 
Because after Greece, I mean, because after Philippi, they go to Corinth. They go to Athens. Uh, uh, and, and we know that a lot of significant things are going to take place by doors closing in what would be in these other places in Turkey, and they made their way to, to Greece. God opened up that door. So let us not be dismayed when doors close. Realize that, in, that God is guiding and leading us. If we are people of prayer, if we are people of the word, if we are people in fellowship, if we are in fellowship with God, we can have a level of assurance that God is guiding and deleting, deleting, <laughs> God is uh, guiding and leading our comings and goings, even if it doesn't look that way, even if it looks like, gee, this is a dead end, you know? It's not a dead end. Uh, you know, very, very uh, important for us uh, to understand. You know, God's will is not a cul-de-sac, right? It's not like, you know, you go into the cul-de-sac, this is the wrong place to go, now I'm stuck. No, there's always a way out, always a way out. Uh, and this is true of the, uh, of the prophets. Think about Jonah, right? God told him to go to Nineveh, he went the other way. God would not have it, made him go back the other way. A door closed, a door opened. Whether he liked it or not, you know, that's the, that's the point there. Uh, and hopefully, you know, we who have, the, have this uh, intimate ministry with Yeshua and the presence of God that could only be had this side of the resurrection, that we can have quite an assurance of God leading us and directing us in our jobs, in the choice of jobs, in what happens at work every day, you know, what happens at home, uh, what happens in our tr driving to work and traveling and so on and so forth. If you get stuck at that light and you're late for work, uh, I need to recognize that God is at work, okay? Uh, I'm not going to try to speed up and go through the light. Maybe something bad could happen, see? Think of it as, uh, you know, maybe I left a little late. I'm going to live with it because God is, God is guiding my direction. God is guiding my paths. You know, if you're in that long line at the market these days, or you're waiting outside to even get in that market, oh, God must be uh, just guiding and directing my steps, and, and there you go, right? That's how we can be content. Like Paul talked about in Philippians, interestingly enough, and we'll learn why, uh, that uh, he can be content with having a lot, of having a little, because he knew that God was guiding and directing that's what the apostles were learning here. They didn't get frustrated. God opened up another door. See? And then there's the whole issue of hospitality. May we be people of hospitality. And it, it, it's not about uh, necessarily, is my house nice enough for anybody to come in or not come in? Or it's, it's uh, you know, just uh, showing kindness to people, sharing a meal with someone, uh, or calling someone on the phone, you can show hospitality in very creative ways, even during these days when people are not getting together so much. You know, there are ways of showing hospitality, uh, of loving the stranger, of loving the other person, okay? So when we think of hospitality, it's you got to have a big uh, six-course meal, uh, at, you know, at my house, I, you know, and, and, and all that. that. That is not... Uh, what this is about. It's just about caring for others, showing, showing kindness to others. 
uh, in varieties of different ways. And you know, we do that, uh, but let's keep thinking about that and remembering that. And think of it as, this is what it means to, if I'm filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, if I'm being led by God, I'm going to show hospitality. It's not like that's something else, you know? No, and so you see it right here. And, uh, and so that's something we learn. We learn a lot about the values of those early Messiah followers. The value of walking after the leading of the Lord when a door closes, another one opens. The value of just relying on God for where we're going to go and what we're going to do. And then also the value of hospitality. Luke is bringing this out. He could have just he didn't even have to say that they, they stayed with her. But Luke makes a point of it so that we would know that, you know? Uh, and now next time, uh, we'll see what happens in Philippi. Some interesting things take place uh, in, this, uh, in this city uh, in Macedonia. Uh, and, uh, and so with those thoughts in mind, let's pray. Lord uh, God, thank you for this testimony that we have by Luke of, uh, of not being able to go where they had planned to go, not following the strategy that they thought was the right way. But you close doors, they end up by the sea, kind of waiting in this place called Troas. And Paul has a vision of, a, of someone from Macedonia saying, come and help us. And so they conclude that's where we're supposed to go. And uh, so, God, may we follow your leading in our lives. Sometimes that might be just you laying it on our heart to say a word to someone, to say a word to a stranger somewhere, or to go somewhere, or, you know, to be uh, an emissary to another land or a country or to take a particular job, or not to take a job, or not to go to this place, or not to go to that situation, or whatever it may be. May we realize, God, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, always. And just like the prophets of old, and just like now, today, all of us, partaking of this uh, indwelling of the Ruach HaKodesh, and remembering that we're seated in heavenly places, uh, that, the, uh, that um, we enter the holy place through a new and living way, which means that all of us now have this priesthood. All of us have this prophetic ministry. All of us now have access to holy places and the power of the living God. Uh, may we live that way 24-7 and everywhere we go and everything that we do, God, uh, and in all of our interactions with each other, may we show that mutual blessing one to another and may people see it uh, and listen and may you open up their hearts to receive the Messiah and to walk in his ways. We pray in Messiah's name. Amen.